Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Just some uh, some housekeeping items before we begin. So next Sunday, there's no Sunday school or adult Bible class. We have a service at 8 a.m. And then in between that 8 a.m. service and the 1030 service, we'll have the buffet breakfast. So just bring your stuff like you normally do for breakfast and we'll do our Easter breakfast that way. So it's Easter potluck, if you will. So two services next Sunday, 8 o'clock and 1030. Um, Holy Week service, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, both at 7 p.m., just by way of housekeeping items. I think the kids are going to practice yet with instruments today, so I need to watch my time. Wink, wink, if you'll help me. Yes, thank you. All right, so we continue with Ephesians 5. Um, we we're rejoicing in what uh, the Bible teaches about the, the vocation of husband and wife. We'll try and finish husband today. So Ephesians 5, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We also observe from Ephesians 5 that Christ has holied his bride, the church, through the washing of the word with water, that's baptism, that she may be holy. So the church is holied through the gift of our Lord, namely holy baptism. And then Ephesians 5 says then, so husbands then are to do the same thing with their wives and family, which means the husbands are to be like Christ for his family and his bride and make sure that they're holy. So we pick up our uh, study on page 5. Top of page 5. So this is the thing. Husbands, when God gives you a family... Your job as a husband or as the head of the family is to make sure your children are baptized. And if gentlemen like Nolan and Brian and you guys who aren't married yet, when you meet this hot young thing in college and she's not a believer, you are going to work towards having her become a Christian and be baptized and be holy. That's what you do as a husband. Make sense? Okay. So, for example, so let's say Nolan and Brian meet these two hot young things in college and they think it's going somewhere, that this, these chicks might be the one. But then these chicks both tell them, you know, we're not going to get baptized and we're not going to go to church with you when we get married. That's a deal breaker, guys. Are you listening to me? That's a deal breaker. Okay. So page five, top of the page. Ephesians 5 also speaks of Christ sharing his holiness with his bride, as I just observed, through holy baptism washing her by water and the word to make her holy, blameless, or stainless. So dad will therefore bring his family for holy baptism so that they too are holy and sanctified. You can look up the Acts passages there, Acts 16 and 18 on your own, but that's an example of when the head of the household was converted and baptized, the whole household was. Okay? Next paragraph, as an aside, this is just a brief aside, as the newly baptized is given a new name, the Christian name, that, that of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the newly married woman in our culture is given the new name of her husband. Now, I understand that many women keep their maiden name for professional reasons. So like my sister-in-law, she kept her maiden name for professional reasons. So it would be Lori Corette Zook. She married Robin's brother, Zook, a Zook. But she did it Lori Corette Zook. She still took her husband's last name. But for professional reasons, she also kept her maiden name because she was known for that for years. But you understand my point. Next paragraph. On another note, just as Christ loves his bride, the church, 
so the husband will love his wife. Although the husband will certainly be aware of his wife's faults and sins, and that's vice versa, of course, he will forgive them. And this is the main point I want to talk about today. He will let Christ be the mediator and his word, namely Christ's word of forgiveness, mediate between the two of them so that they both grow in knowing Christ better and to grow in his holiness through his word. So I want to repeat something that's a biblical teaching. If you're not picking this up, let's try and clinch it. How are you holy before the Lord? Is it because of something that you do or is it something that is given to you? The answer is something is given to you, namely the holiness of Christ himself. He gives you his holiness to wear. It's borrowed. He lets you borrow his holiness, but he bestows his holiness to you through his word. So like every time you come to church and the pastor speaks the word of forgiveness, like at the beginning of the service, Christ is saying, give me your sin and I'll give you my holiness through the absolution to wear as a garment all week. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees not you the sinner, but he sees you the holy one who wears his son's holiness. When you come to communion, it's given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Once again, Christ then with his bride, he communes with his bride. Again, one of, what's one of the names of the Lord's Supper? Holy communion. There is a union. The bridegroom Christ and his bride, the church, are one flesh in holy communion. And the bridegroom says to his bride, come, come. I give you my holiness. I'm going to take care of you. So how are you holy? Something is given to you. It's gift. It's Christ's holiness. And he lets you borrow it. Holiness never is interior to me. Namely, I don't, I don't have a holiness in and of myself. Holiness before God is always Christ's. So to clinch this point, I can't say to God the Father, I'm holy, and I'm holy because I did this and I did that. Like I quit smoking, I quit drinking, my cholesterol's down, and I don't dance. Now my wife's very disappointed. Well, that's true. Yeah. She's very disappointed. Oh uh, yeah, did I really quit smoking? Candy cigarettes, yes, I still do that. Yeah. As you observed Wednesday night, many of you. That's right. So, but again, you understand my point here? So I wanted to clinch that. Holiness before God is a gift given to you by Christ himself. So now, the headship of the husband then on page five. So here we go again. When, when Christian pastors or Christian teachers speak of the headship of the husband, everybody gets nervous. Because nobody understands this properly from the scriptures. So you've got, to, you've got 1 Corinthians 11 there. I'll read it to you. It says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. We've observed that before, right? Every man has a head. It's Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So there's this thing that is just matrixed. It's called headship. God has ordered everything in an order. And this is exhibited by headship. The headship of Jesus Christ is God the Father. Let me give you an example. Jesus lives under the headship of God the Father in this way. That God the Father, when he says, I want you, son, to take on flesh and die for the sins of the world and atone for it, Jesus says, I will. I will, because I know that that's in the best interest of everybody. And I know, Father, that you're looking out for everybody, so I will do it. Now, does that mean that Jesus is not equal to God the Father according to his divinity? No. Both are divine. One God, 
three persons, all equal in divinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there is an order. The Father sends the Son. Jesus says this, you remember in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me. So the Father, exercising his headship for the sake of the salvation of the world, sends his Son to die on the cross. Got it? So in a marriage, there's headship. The husband lives for the sake of his bride in a family. Okay? And the man, the man's head is Christ. And I've talked about this before. I don't think I need to say anything more. So you ladies who aren't married, some of them are teaching Sunday school this morning. When they meet the hot guy at university, and hot guy isn't a believer and doesn't want a believer, and you think he's the one, that's a deal breaker because he's not going to exercise headship properly. I mean, marriage is hard enough, isn't it, married people? You old-timers know it. The young ones, maybe not so much yet. But marriage is difficult in and of itself. The last thing you need is to compound the hardness and difficulty of marriage by marrying somebody who's not a believer and doesn't want to be. It just, it's just tough. So just guard that. So the head of the wife is the husband. The head of the man is Christ. It's just ordered into creation itself. Now, so what does headship mean? I'm looking again at page five. Headship does not mean inequality, as I just observed. Headship is not a business term in the Bible, so don't go there. It's simply a physical term of order that just expresses life the way God created it, the way it is. For example, as I just mentioned, all persons of the Holy Trinity are equal. However, there is headship and authority within the Trinity. The Father, as the head of the Trinity, begets the Son from eternity. The Son obeys the Father. And notice that the Holy Spirit proceeds from what? The Father and the Son. Jesus talks about this all the time in John's Gospel. The Holy Spirit, or the Comforter, or the Counselor, who I will send and the Father will send. And the Spirit, what's his, what's his vocation in the Trinity? to bear witness to Jesus and bring glory to Jesus. That's John 14, John 15, John 16. Test it out. Jesus says in those three chapters in John that the Holy Spirit will bear witness to Jesus and give glory to Jesus. And so the first thing that happens on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and the apostles start preaching, who do the apostles preach? Holy Spirit? No, they preach Jesus. So to clinch this point, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from both the Father and the Son, will make sure that all our attention is on Jesus. Why is that? Because the second person of the Trinity took on flesh and died to atone for the sin of the world. The Holy Spirit did not. The Father did not. But the second person, Jesus, did. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to make one other point on this and we're going to move on because I think it's helpful. If you get some eye candy pastor in the future who is going to just simply talk about Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Sunday after Sunday, Bible class after Bible class, but never, ever preach or teach that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus died and rose for you, but all he talks about is Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit, that. Is the Holy Spirit going on? Nope, because who's not getting preached? Jesus. Now let's flip it. So let's say you got this, this schmuck by the name of Kuhlman who 24-7, 365, preaches and teaches Jesus Christ as the Savior in many and various ways according to the scriptures. But rarely does Kuhlman, this schmuck, 
Rarely does he talk about the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit going on? Yep. Because who's getting preached and taught? Jesus. So I want you to think of the Holy Spirit then as the shy member of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit gets out of the way so that all our attention is on Jesus. You must watch this carefully because we live in a country where the devil is at work. And the devil uses guys dressed like this and will not preach Jesus. You know that that's not Holy Spirit going on. Okay, so let me continue on page five. Please note that with regard to Jesus then, he is not weakened or lesser by obeying his father. In other words, Jesus is no less God for his obedience that led to his death on the cross as the one and only atoning sacrifice for all sin and every sinner. So there's no shame, there's no injustice to use the language of today or competition between the three persons of the Trinity here. The son submits because he is the son of the father. That means he is ordered. The son is ordered. That's the order. So Jesus too has headship. Ephesians 1. I've got it on the sheet. He, namely God the father, has put all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him, namely Jesus, as, notice, as head. Did you see that? God the father gives his son Jesus to be the head over what? All things. For what purpose? What's the text say? What's the next words? To or for the church, his bride, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's, let's clinch this point here from Ephesians 1. Jesus Christ is the head of everything for what purpose? It's service. Serving who? His bride, the church. So why won't the church ever cease to exist on the earth until judgment day? Because Jesus will take care of her. He will see to it that his bride will continue to exist to preach the gospel, baptize, teach, Lord's Supper, etc. So I'm going to clinch it one more time. If you have questions about this, please raise your hand. I don't want you to leave here being confused. Jesus exercises his headship for the sake of service. So he rules over everything so that the church, his bride, can continue to exist and do her God-given tasks. Any questions about that? So is Christ, is that the headship and that's the Precisely. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So husbands then, they rule over the household, if I can use this term, for the sake of the, the wife and the children. So his wants, his, his needs, he puts last. So and it just kills the husband. It does. Guys talk like this. It just kills me to do what she, she needs. I've been there and done that. <laughs> and so have you gentlemen. It just kills me to do it. Yeah, well, good. God bless you then. Right, Eric? Eric's shaking his head. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yes, Judy. When Phil was alive, I used to go home with sore ribs when the sermon was preached in church. Because he'd be sore ribs. Oh. Out <laughs> of the household. Okay. Now, you, so did he understand what the scriptures meant then? See, that's, that's the key. The so, Bible study would have been good for him. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. You, you've hit it. 
So I, if I had if I had ten thousand dollars, I always up the ante now when I say this. I used to say a hundred dollars. Now, so if I had ten thousand dollars for every time I had a couple who were having marriage problems, and the husband would come to me and say, "The Bible says she must submit to me, Pastor," and I'd say, "Yeah, that's right." Now you tell me how you're doing that. Well, she won't do what I say. What do you mean? And then the more I listen, the more this guy's not ahead of the family. He's an SOB. I'd like to say another term. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, he's simply living for himself and she won't let him live for himself. And then he wonders why he's in deep trouble with his marriage. And just to, to push it and just to have fun with it, then she wonders why she meets somebody at Walmart and she's gone. Yeah, right. Or Costco. Yeah. Target. Target. Yeah. That's right. All right, I got to rein this in. So bottom of page five. Bottom of page five. So the headship of Jesus then, notice the according to Ephesians 1, which we just read, the headship of Jesus is the Father's gift to the church, Christ's body and Christ's bride, so that she is nourished and so that she is provided for. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 tells us that the headship of Christ is exercised for the sake of his bride, the church. And that's on page 6. I've got it printed out for you. This is the next text here from Ephesians on page 6. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Notice, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he, namely Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, Paul's going to speak about the ascension here. We're going to have a whole study on the ascension one of these days in our study of Ephesians. I'm not going to do it now. Let's continue with our theme of headship. Christ being head over everything for the sake of his church. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all Things. Now you notice, so Jesus in his ascension reigns over everything. And what does he do? How does he exercise this headship? Look at the next verb, or verse, verse, verse 11. He gives. He gives gifts. I can't emphasize this enough. Again, when Christ exercises his headship for the sake of the church, he gives gifts. And they're listed. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. To do what? To equip the saints, that's you and me, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Notice, for edification. So headship of Christ means he gives gifts to his church so that his bride, the church, can be built up and edified. Now, if you've read your New Testament, and especially First and Second Corinthians, you know that this is one of Paul's main themes. 
Because the church at Corinth, there were all kinds of divisions and all kinds of troubles in this congregation. And instead of the congregation being edified, instead of the bride of Christ being built up, the bride of Christ is being torn down and destroyed. And Paul had to address it. Okay, Let's keep going. <clears throat> Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up in every way into him, Jesus that is, who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, that's the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ exercises his headship over his bride, the church, by giving her gifts so that she can live in a manner that is worthy to her calling, as we just observed here from Ephesians 4. Any questions about that? All right, let's keep going. 2 Corinthians 10, I've got listed here on page 6, where authority then is used for the edification of others, namely to build people up. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, this is apostolic authority, which the Lord gave, for what purpose? For building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Let me give an example. You had people at Corinth who were committing all kinds of sexual immorality, and Paul had to address this. Now, in today's terms, Paul would immediately get kicked out of, out of being a pastor, immediately. The church can't stand pastors addressing this. But Paul had to in his day. He had to address the sexual immorality going on at Corinth. Now, did he do that to tear the, the congregation down? No. His apostolic authority is simply the authority of what? The word. Any kind of authority, whether it's an apostle or a pastor, it is the word of God and that's it. So Paul addressing like the sexual immorality addressed it according to the word of God for the sake of what? Building this church up, edifying her. So if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, now I think you begin to understand why, generally speaking, the church in America is just going tanking. It's tanking. Because it's not being built up. If the, if the pastors do not exercise their proper authority according to the word and let everybody do what floats their boat. Okay, so have you seen, have you seen the speech that was given by an Anglican deacon named Calvin Robinson? Have you seen this? Write it down. I'll put his name on the board. Calvin Robinson. He's got a big afro. He looks like he's in the 1970s. You know, he looks like Mod Squad kind of guy. That really dates me. Um, you don't even know that, do you? Some of you do. Um, but he he he's he he lives in England. He serves a congregation in London. Here's my point. Get online. Watch his speech at Oxford. All you have to do is Calvin Robinson speech at Oxford. You've got to watch it. He is exercising proper 
headship in the church as a pastor by speaking to what the Church of England just approved within the last couple of months. And what was that? The Church of England approved of blessing same-sex marriages and unions. Now, he spoke against that according to the word of God. And that's building up the church. God's going to bless that. God's going to bless that. And the church will be built up, even in this argument and fight. So my long way of making this point is, is yeah, sometimes the pastor, according to the word of God, is going to go against the grain of your old Adam and your old Eve. Not to destroy you, but to build you up, to build the church up. I hope I've made this point. Headship is for edification, and sometimes to be edified, you have to be repented so that you can be faithed. And then once you're faith, now you can be led in holy living. And that's what he's doing with the Church of England. It's, he's all over the media. If any of you watch any kind of social media or anything online, he is he's the star. God is using this man to teach faithfully about this issue. Thanks be to God. Hmm. God. This, is, this is the delight. Jesus, he's got believers scattered all over the place, and the people in authority can't control them. <laughs> They're like this guy right here, like a coolman. They're like artesian wells who just keep popping up everybody, and they can't push it down fast enough. <laughs> it's just great. Hey, you, you know what I'm talking about with artesian wells, right? Oh, they just keep popping up everywhere. There's another one. There's another one. Okay, enough said. All right, page six. So, the husband's headship is also his gift. So, just as the father gives his son as gift for edification for the church, so the husband, God gives as gift for his wife, his body in the marriage. So, husband, you're the head of the marriage. Wife, you're the body. The two go together, and they have to live in a certain kind of order. Headship body. If you've got a bodiless head or a headless body, it doesn't work. And that's where we're at in America. That's where we're at. Okay. And it's just a disaster. But God just keeps popping people up all the time, teaching the truth. Thanks be to God. And so the head lives only as it's connected to the body, namely the wife. The one flesh union of the head with the body, the husband with the wife, is for the sake of, it's for the sake of life. Be fruitful and multiply, God said to Adam and Eve. So one of the main purposes for holy marriage is to have children. Now, I, I'm going to say something here, and it may drop your jaws to the floor. If so, okay. We'll pick your jaw up and put it back in your mouth. If you say this, yeah, but if I have any more kids, the world will cease to exist because just, there's not enough food to feed everybody. Do you realize that's unbelief? That's unbelief. God will provide. He created it. He will take care of it. Despite how many children people have. Now don't misunderstand what I've said. I did not say that if you're married, you have to have a certain number of kids. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is a general biblical teaching. is one of the main reasons for holy marriage is to have children. This is God's will. And so when people say, well, I'm not going to have any kids because if I, seriously, I'm going to speak in general. Most people who are going to college right now who are dating and planning on getting married, they put children at the very last of their, because children are expensive. 
And that means it might, I have to, I'll have to cut down on vacation time. I won't be able to buy my car. I won't be able to just fill in the blank. And so kids are the last thing on their mind. Now, when you hear that talk, it's idolatry. It's the worship of the self. Taking care of self instead of... So my point here is just as the husband lives for the sake of the wife, the, one, the result of the one flesh union is children so that both husband and wife are now mother and father and now live differently, which means what? So I've got, I've got a daughter and a son-in-law who are going to learn this big time in spades. Okay? Because they just had a daughter on Friday. So now Allison and Ryan are going to have to now reorient their lives differently for the sake of taking care of. See what I'm saying? That's God's order. That's God's blessing. Let's keep going. Both must go together, head and body, husband and wife. So headship with the body is a union that is greater than each of them separately. There is no such thing. Are you listening? There is no such thing in a marriage as his problem. There's no such thing in the marriage as that's her problem. Instead, it's our problem. And in a positively speaking, there is no such thing in a marriage as just, well, that's his joy or it's her joy. It's our joy to speak positively. Do I need to call the ushers? Don't don't come to me for counseling because you can't afford it. Well, honey, <laughs> bottom line, bottom line, presupposition of headship or levels of authority or order are simply the matrix of God's creation. I, I can't emphasize that enough either. This is matrixed into God's creation. Now, we live in a culture that says what I've just taught you, and I'm not exaggerating. We live in a culture which now tells you what you've just learned from the Bible and what you've been learning from me for decades is a man-made construct. Man-made, not a divine gift. Now you understand that if you run with a presupposition that marriage between a man and a woman and a family as a result of that is a man-made construct, then you can do anything you want with it. And you must, and if you don't like it, you can deconstruct it which means destroy it that's what we're experiencing in the United States so I, I hope this is somewhat helpful and edifying for you as you see everything in the world and the news going on okay what's happening is is that Satan together with the world and the old and the sinful flesh is trying to deconstruct what God has given for our blessing and the lie is the satanic lie is is we can deconstruct it, destroy it, and we can create something better. I got news for you, isn't going to happen. It will be worse than you've ever seen in your life. As we are experiencing. Thank you very much for that. So what happened in Tennessee, okay? And the people who got shot are now blamed? Are you kidding me? This is all on purpose. The, the, the children and the adults who were killed in that Christian school, they're now blamed for what happened to them. Why? 
Because these Christians in America, that includes you and me, we teach something that is evil. Man, woman, husband, wife, family. And they must deconstruct it. That is what we are dealing with. Now, you, there may, there's certainly mental illness, etc., involved with this. But that's part of the mental illness. The mental illness is what God's given is evil and it must be destroyed. Okay. I hope that was somewhat helpful. Any quick questions? Because we've got to quit here in about a minute. I'll take time if you got a question. Yes? If the husband dies, is the woman the head then or is she always the body? Great question. This would also include, for example, uh, where, where the man might be MIA in a marriage. Sometimes the man's just completely MIA. So the wife has to step up to the plate and do it as the substitute head of the family. Okay? So similarly, if the husband dies and if she doesn't remarry, well, then she has to exercise this headship for the sake of her children and family. Okay? But that's an emergency situation, if you will. The norm would be, yes? So when isn't dead, does the sin fall on the wife or the husband? What's the last part of the question? So let's say your husband's not dead, but he still doesn't step up to take care okay. of the family. Does the sin fall on the husband or the wife? Oh, the husband. Absolutely. You're responsible for your inactions. You're not only responsible for what you do, you're also responsible for what you do not do. So it's the husband. Now the wife, as the helpmeet, needs to try and change that situation if she can. And that's what? Try and repent the guy. Okay. You say you're a Christian? Let's live. Let's do it. Come on, let's do it. If he's not a Christian, then we also have other Bible passages that teach you don't divorce the guy if he's not a Christian. You've got to stay in the marriage. And then you want to try and change the guy by what? What does scripture say, ladies? Do you remember? How do you try and convert your husband? Not only, not only through the word of God that you'll speak to him, but how else? Your actions. Your actions will also do that as well. So that, that would be my advice if you're living in that kind of a marriage. Your actions within that marriage are going to try and move this guy in a different direction. And again, what's the point? The point's not that, nah, 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 I'm better than you are. No, the point is, to get this guy to exercise headship for the edification of the marriage and the family. I think I'm out of time, right, Ms. Kuhlman? Yes, you are. Okay, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. <laughs>